Thank you, brother. Amen and amen. Continue to keep them in your prayers. And we are grateful for their work with the Lord there uh, with among the Lakota people. Well, we are uh, in a series called King Jesus. And today we're looking at the topic of Jesus in the house. And uh, we're uh, in Mark chapter 2, so I invite you to turn there with me today. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, it's a very familiar passage of Scripture, I'm sure, as you look at it today. And as we look at this together, we want to look at it maybe from a little different angle. But as we see this passage, we see that Jesus was in the house, and as he is in this house, we, uh, it makes a difference when Jesus is in the house. So the question is, what happens when Jesus is in the house. And today specifically, I'm going to just spend a few minutes talking about when Jesus is in the house, meaning the church. When Jesus is here, what, when he is here among God's people, what takes place? Well, some would say, well, pastor, he's always here. Well, because I know that. We know in Matthew eighteen twenty, it tells us that when two or three gather together in his name, that he's in the midst. That's true. But here's the question. Do we recognize that he is here? And do we acknowledge that he is here? And how does it affect us if we really believe that he is in the house? So let's see what happens in this passage of scripture with Jesus in the house. And if you if you're able if you would please stand in honor and reverence to the word of God as I read Mark 2 Verses 1 through 12. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. And then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God this morning. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts in the midst of it and through it and pray, Lord, that you'd help us to just hear what you want us to hear, to apply it to our hearts and lives and we'll give you the glory, the honor, and praise. Father, there are those here that don't know Jesus, may this be the hour of salvation. Those of us, Lord, who are your, your, your people, may you fill us with your spirit, may you guide us by your grace and help us, Lord, to be drawn closer to you. But Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, hang on. We got a lot to say in a little bit of time, so hang on. Three things as we look at Jesus in the house. First thing, what happens when Jesus is in the house? People are drawn to him. People are drawn to him. 
in verses 1 and 2. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. And immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. You see, friends, when Jesus is in the house, people are drawn to Jesus. And here specifically, Jesus is preaching the word to the people, and they wanted to hear from him. They wanted to hear his voice. They wanted to hear his word. And when we acknowledge and recognize that Jesus is here, we are drawn to him as we want to hear what he has to say to us. When Jesus is in the house, when Jesus is at church, we want to ask and come to him and say, Lord, what do you want me to hear today? Lord, what is it that you want me to understand today? What area of my life do you need to speak into today? And so the people wanted to hear Jesus because he spoke with authority. He spoke the truth. He pointed to righteousness and being right with God. And friends, as we come to church, we should want to hear the same. As we're drawn to him, as we hear his voice to us, and as we acknowledge and recognize his presence among us, we know that he convicts of sin. We remember the story of Saul, who became the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, and how he was convicted of his sin, heard the voice of Jesus, and acknowledged him as Savior and Lord, and was forever changed and became the greatest missionary for Jesus. Also, as we acknowledge and recognize his presence, the presence of Jesus among us, we are drawn to him as we are convicted of our sin, but also as he calls us to be his disciples. Or if we're already a disciple, we, are, we want to hear from him that we may re-enter into that unhindered fellowship with him if we have strayed in some way from him. In Revelation 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. As we acknowledge that Jesus is here and recognize that he is here, we want to uh, dine with him. We want to have fellowship with him. We want nothing to break that. We want to hear from him as we know Jesus is in the house, as we acknowledge and recognize his presence among us. Also, when Jesus is in the house, it could be that he also comforts us. Maybe people come uh, to hear from Jesus uh, in a church service because they need to be comforted. Maybe there's some areas of insecurity or uncertainty, and we want to hear a word from him to remind us that he is near. He tells us in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. We want to hear the voice of our shepherd as we gather here, knowing that Jesus is in the house and he has something for us to bring comfort uh, in our lives. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. And when Jesus is in the house, people are drawn to him because they want to hear from him. But let me tell you this also, as we see here in this passage of scripture, people were drawn to Jesus because they wanted to hear a word from him. But also as we see in this passage that people are drawn to him when he is in the house, listen, because they are expecting him to do something. Amen. They're expecting, they want to be near Jesus because they're expecting him to do something. We say, where do you get that from? Well, I'm glad you asked. In verse three and four, it tells us in Mark chapter two here that they came to him bringing a paralytic 
who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof. And we know what took place here. We'll look at it in just a minute. But why did they bring the paralytic to Jesus? They were drawn to him because they were expecting Jesus to be able to do something for this paralytic. Now, friends, let me just stop here and ask you a question real quick. Koda, why did you come to church today? Now, just think about that for a minute. We all have all kinds of reasons of why we come to church. But here's two. Did you come because you're ready to hear from him? And did you come expecting Jesus to do something? You see, friends, we are to come to hear from the Lord by his spirit and through his word, but also we should be expecting Jesus to do something. Are you with me? We should be expecting Jesus to do something as we gather in his presence, as we gather together as the church. Why? Because he is able, because he is the king and he is God. And he, this Jesus that we have sung about already and prayed to already and remembered already and talked about already, this Jesus is still able to deliver from the bondage of sin. This Jesus is still able to save to the uttermost. This Jesus is still able to keep us from stumbling. This Jesus is still able to change people's hearts. He is still able to change people's lives and to save people's souls. Friends, Jesus is in the house and are we being drawn to him? The Bible tells us in Isaiah 55, 6, to seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. In Psalm 105, 4, it says, seek the Lord and his strength and seek his face evermore. And then in Hosea 10, 12, it also tells us that as we hear the word there, to sow for yourselves righteousness and reap in mercy, to break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Friends, may I uh, submit to you that I think that it is time that we call out to the Lord as we're seeking to be near him. Lord, break the fallow ground of my heart. We need him to break the fallow ground, the ground that has grown hard and dry. Amen? Jesus is in the house. And as Jesus is in the house, people are drawn to him. And then secondly, people are drawn to him, but also our greatest need is met. When Jesus is in the house, our greatest need is met. Is met. Look at verse 5 here. When Jesus saw their faith, meaning the faith of these four men and the man on the mat, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Skip down to verse 9. He says, Which is easier to say to the paralytic that your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house, and immediately. The man rose, took up the bed, went out of the presence of the all so that they all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. And so the paralytic is brought by his four friends because he thought and they thought his greatest need was to be healed. 
of his paralysis. You can sort of hear in your mind, if you can replay the story of what took place, as you can think about it in your mind of what happened with these four men. They heard that Jesus was at Peter's house, as we're assuming that that's where they are when we talk about being in the house, that they're at Simon Peter's house. And these four men have heard what Jesus has done and what he's able to do. And so they know that their friend is paralyzed. And so they go to their friends, hey, look, bud. Oh, Jim Bob, you know, Jesus, he's over here. And we have heard some things about Jesus that, you know, you've been paralyzed for so long. We believe that if we get you to Jesus, that he'll be able to do something for you. So you can hear that conversation. And they finally convince old Jim Bob that he needs to, to, to let them go and pick him up on his mat and take him over to where Jesus is. And so they, get, they find that they're going there and they uh, decide that he can't walk, obviously. And uh, it's too far for him maybe to, to just put him on their shoulders. So they put him on the mat. The four of them go around the, the mat. They pick him up. They walk. They head over and they get to the house and they say this huge crowd of people. Now they wonder, what are we going to do? And so as they're seeing all these people, they, they want to get into Jesus because they, they've told Jim Bob, they've talked to him all the way to get over there that, they will, that this Jesus can do something miraculous for you, Jim Bob, if you will just let us get you to Jesus. And so as he gets over there and there's a huge crowd there, they can't get in. And so they scratch their heads and one of them looks up thinking and he says, the roof. And so then we can get up on the roof. You know, if we get up on the roof, we can lower you down. And so they began to try to convince Jim Bob that that's the best thing, that if they can just get up on the roof and open up the roof, they can lower you down, Jim Bob, right down to where Jesus is. And when you see Jesus, he is going to heal you. We just believe he is going to heal you and you're going to be able to walk again. Are you up with this, Jim Bob? And he says, let's go. And so up they go up to the roof. They begin to dig away and pull away. And pretty soon they made a pretty big mess of things down on the floor as stuff is beginning to fall and Jesus is teaching there and he looks up and and here comes Jim Bob down on the mat and they bring him down right in front of Jesus and they've talked about how if they just get to Jesus he can heal them and so when he gets down and Jesus looks at him he looks at the man and the man looks at Jesus and Jesus says son your sins are forgiven you hmm And those four men who are on the roof still looking down, this is not exactly what we were thinking. Can't you imagine that? And Jim Bob, who's on the uh, mat, that's not what he was thinking either. Your sins are forgiven you. So what has happened? Well, let me tell you what happened. Jesus looked past the man's immediate need and met his greatest need. Amen? Amen? And that paralytic's, listen, and that paralytic's greatest need is our greatest need, which is forgiveness. This forgiveness goes beyond what we typically think about when we think of that word. When we say that we forgive someone, we think about it as, well, I'm not mad at you anymore, or I'm not holding this against you anymore, or our friendship has now been renewed. But when Jesus forgives friends, our sins are put away in two ways. The demands of the law and the justice are satisfied as the penalty for our sins, which we deserve, has been paid by Jesus. But also the guilt that was caused by our sin is removed and has been replaced with the righteousness of Jesus. And so now we are loved as we're forgiven by Jesus. We are loved, we're accepted and forgiven by God. And that it's as if we have never sinned and we're made right with holy God. And that is the forgiveness that Jesus offers. It is our greatest need. And so what we see here is that Jesus looks at this man and he says to him, your sins are forgiven. And the man really doesn't know what to do. And let me just ask you, what would you do 
If you went to the doctor to get some medicine that would cure you of some sickness, and as you have the sickness, and you've had it for some time, but you know that this particular doctor has the medicine that you need to, ha- to relieve you of that sickness and to cure you, and you walk into his office, and instead of giving you the prescription for the sickness, he, looks, he or she looks at you and says to you, I forgive you. Now, you would think, what's the first question that's going to come to my mind? What did I do to you? Right? That's what you would think. Well, friends, listen. That is really what is happening here. In that for Jesus to forgive sins, then the sins of the paralytic must be against Jesus. You want to hear something that's truth? All sin is against our creator Jesus. And so only our creator can forgive sin. And so Jesus is saying in these few words, which really is the the key point of what is this passage of scripture here, is that he is saying in those few words to the man as he is telling him that his sins are forgiven, he is saying, I am your creator. I am almighty God, and as your creator and as God, I forgive you. You see, friends, Jesus is doing what only God can do, and that is he is meeting the man's greatest need, forgiving him of his sin and making him right with God. And friends, listen, that is what he does for us. When Jesus is in the house, he meets our greatest need as we come to him. And then as to prove that he has this authority to forgive the sins, because the religious leaders now are furious at this point at what Jesus says, because he has made a bold claim here. He tells the man in order to prove that he is able to forgive sins, that he must pick up his bed and walk. Because Jesus says, you know, anybody can say your sins are forgiven. Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to tell a man to, to walk who's been paralyzed. And so in order to prove that I am who I say I am, basically is what Jesus is saying, I want you now to pick up your bed and walk and Jim Bob walked, amen? Listen, friends, why are you in the house today? Why are you at church today? You see, I believe that too many people come to church where Jesus is just to get a quick fix of their issues. Maybe they've had a rough week, so I'll go to church. Maybe they've been in a situation or crisis and God pulled them through. And so in order to fulfill their obligation, they'll go to church for a couple of weeks and and fulfill that obligation. Maybe that's not you at all and probably isn't. But more than likely for you as well as it is to me, when I get up on Sunday morning, there is only one thing to do. There is no other option for me. I don't, even when we're on vacation, we go to church. We're going somewhere. Now, the question is, it, are we doing that because that's what we've always done? So I'll just go to church. I want, to, want my routine to not get out of whack. But in reality, if that is the case, what we're saying as we come to church is, I'm just getting my church fix. Just a little boost to get me on my way so that I can go about my merry way and get back to doing things my way on my own timetable again. Now, friends, if that's you, then I'm here to tell you that you are truly missing 
Jesus' greatest offer. Don't come to church to get church. Come to church to get Jesus. You know, as I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking about, you know, um, if I'd never been to the ocean and somebody was, was to say to me, I really want you to experience the ocean. I really want you to, to enjoy the warmth of the sun, the breeze on the beach, the beauty of the blue water and the white sand as it meets together and to see that. You know, you've never seen this, so I want you to, to just stand on the edge of the water and I want you to experience the, the vast majesty of the expanse of what you see. So I really want you to experience that ocean. And I say, well, yeah, I want to experience that too. And he says to me, well, I'm going to help you with that today. I'm going to let you experience the ocean. And he goes over to a bucket that he has here. And he pulls out of his pocket a teaspoon. And he reaches down in that bucket and he pulls out a teaspoon of water. And he brings it over to me and, he say, and I say to him, well, what you got there? It's water out of the ocean. And what am I supposed to do? Take it. Okay? Why? Because I want you to experience the ocean. Well, now, that's great, and that's kind, and that's wonderful for him to do that, but am I really experiencing the ocean? Not really. I'm experiencing a spoon of salty water. My friends, listen. Far too many people are offered being in the presence of God with Jesus in the house. Letting him have his way in our lives and our hearts as the whole ocean is before us, as we could experience the warmth of his embrace, the breeze of the moving of the Holy Spirit, the beauty of his presence in the praises in which we sing. And we could be blown away by the overwhelming sense that he is here and we are reminded of who he is and what he has done. But far too often, friends, I believe that we have become content to receive and accept the teaspoon instead of the ocean. Too often, too often. Friends, when Jesus is in the house, our greatest need is met. And so let us bow before him and lay our souls bare and say, Lord, I need you. I'm here to meet you. I'm here for you to do a mighty work in my life. I'm here for you to meet my greatest need, to be forgiven by you, to know you and to love you more. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what's good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When Jesus is in the house, people are drawn to him and our greatest need is met. And then there's one real quick third point. Listen, when Jesus is in the house, and don't miss this, when Jesus is in the house, opposition will exist. 
In verse 6, we see here that some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So the scribes are sitting there. They're, they've got a seat, so they must have gotten there early among the crowds that are crowding in. And Jesus has made this magnificent claim and the scribes now are bowling, boiling on the inside of what he has said. They are furious that this Jesus has claimed that he is God. Their opposition, opposition will exist. Friend, let this be a lesson to us. And you can mark it down. That when Jesus is in the house, when people are being drawn to him, when he is meeting our greatest needs, when he is at work, there will be opposition from the enemy. The enemy will use all of his tricks, all of his wiles, and all of his tools in his toolbox to cause division. He will do everything he can to cause disunity. He'll do everything he can to cause distrust. He'll do everything he can to cause discouragement and to dissuade the work of God in the church. We need to make sure that we're not allowing him to use us to do that. But that that was direct opposition. There was also some indirect opposition. If you remember in verse 3 and 4, it told us there that as these guys were coming with the man on the mat, that they couldn't get into the house because of the crowd. They couldn't get near Jesus because of the crowd. The crowds would not budge for these guys. Now, I know my upbringing is, is that if I'm in the, in the way of someone who's handicapped or someone who needs to get closer in, my mama would have whooped my britches if I hadn't got out of the way of somebody who needed to get ahead of me. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? And so we see here these people would not budge for these guys to get over to Jesus and to bring the paralytic to Jesus. It was indirect opposition of people coming to Jesus in the house. Friends, let me ask you a question. Are we standing in the way of people coming to Jesus? Am I standing in the way of anybody coming to Jesus? Are you? Let us be instruments of light and not of darkness. To never be or do anything that allows Satan to use us to keep people from coming to Jesus. When Jesus is in the house, people are drawn to him. When Jesus is in the house, our greatest need is met. When Jesus is in the house, opposition will exist. Why have you been coming to church, friends? Jesus is in the house. If you don't know this Jesus who's in the house, you can know him today. It's a simple step of faith. Acknowledging that we're sinners in need of a savior. Turning from our sin and turning to Jesus Christ. Embracing that and believing with all of heart that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross, rose again bodily from the grave and professing him as the Lord and savior of our lives. It's a step of faith. The Bible says, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's very simple. And if you're here today, friends, now listen. I know we're pressed for time. Just bear with me just one more minute. As you come to church, what are you focusing on? What are you focusing on? Why are you you here? 
And why do you come? And what are you expecting? Let me just ask you this. Have you been satisfied with a teaspoon? Or do you desire to experience the ocean and let Jesus have his way in your heart and in your life? We simply need to prepare and seek his face and call out to him and know that he is ready to do something in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd have your way in our hearts and lives. Lord, draw us to yourself. Lord, as we come to this time of invitation, may you have your way to softly and tenderly call us to the place where we need to be. Lord, we pray that if there are those here who don't know you as Savior, this be that moment of salvation and give the heart to you. For those, Father, who need to make decisions of commitment, Lord, if you're calling them to make decisions about this church fellowship, calling people to go out on the mission field, Lord, whatever it is you're dealing with people about, may we be obedient to you. Father, we pray that at this moment, you would speak to our hearts, that we would ask ourselves the question, why is it that I come to Jesus at the church? Why do I come to church? You're in the house. Lord, let us keep our eyes and our hearts fixed upon you. And may we not be satisfied with anything less than what you have to offer. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd move in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Standing as we sing, softly and tenderly, I'll be here to to pray with you. Brother Andy's here to pray with you. Or if you want to come, pray silently. You come as we sing together, softly and tenderly.